And then welcome back for week three in our series, looking at the life of Daniel and how that we can learn from Daniel how to be courageous, how that you and I can stand strong and not just standing strong, but standing strong for the right reason. A lot of people can just say, hey, I'm going to stand up about this, and it may not even be the right reason at all. But what we're learning from Daniel is that Daniel stood strong. He stood for the right reason. He stood at the right time. His timing was impeccable in that regard, and he did it in the right way. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't proud. He wasn't angry. He wasn't going off on people. He just knew when to stand, how to do it, and for what was the reason and motivation. So uh, this is week number three. Uh, In week number one, we started at chapter one when Daniel and his friends were captured and then transported to Jerusalem. And I mentioned to you at that time because a lot of people start reading Daniel and they read that story and hear these young Hebrew boys are taken from their home, you know, their city. We mentioned this, their city was destroyed. Their place of worship was burned to the ground. Their articles was taken out of the temple. And, uh, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king at that time was basically saying your worship of God is over and we're going to take you out of Jerusalem. We're going to take you away from your church. We're going to take you away from your families and we're going to enfold you into the Babylonian culture. And if you remember the language from week one, here's what we're going to do. We're going to teach you the language and the literature of the Babylonian culture. In other words, we want you to talk like we talk and we want you to think the way that we think. And so Nebuchadnezzar basically took these young boys, 12 to 15 years of age, and just sort of enfolded them, sort of brainwashed them, or at least he attempted to in the case of Daniel and his closest friends. It really didn't work too well, but that's chapter one. And then last week, we get to chapter four, and by this time, Daniel, he's about 45, scholars believe about 45 to 50 years of age, and so Nebuchadnezzar, he's still a part of the picture, and Nebuchadnezzar, he like has this crazy dream, we talked about this last week, if you miss week number one or week number two, go to the church's website, you can watch it online, you can listen to it, you can download it to a podcast and listen to it while you're doing something else, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and uh And so in chapter four, uh, the king calls in all of his people, you know, his enchanters, his diviners, he calls in all because he's had this like really bizarre dream. And they're like, as I mentioned to you, uh, scholars, uh, you know, there's a little bit of division. Some say that these uh, wise men of King Nebuchadnezzar could not interpret the dream. Others said they could, but they chose not to. Uh, So he calls in Daniel. He's had this ongoing relationship with Daniel now, the king has for about 30 years. And he says, hey, I know that Daniel has the ability given to him by his God to interpret dreams. And so Daniel, king lays out the dream. And if you were here last week, you know, at the end of that, uh, Daniel gets the courage to say, hey, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I just want you to know you're that tree. That tree that you dreamed about, you dreamt about, you know, the top of it reach, you know, birds of the air, cover the animals. You are that tree and you're going to be cut down. And then he takes it a step. This is where his courage comes into play, where he says, now, King, this is what I want you to know. You got to know I care about you. You got to know I want to see God bless your life. But in order for that to happen, 
King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to have to stop sinning. And Nebuchadnezzar, unfortunately, did not listen to Daniel initially. Seven years, he's out in the wild. I mean, he's just like a beast of the field. He's gone from eating food at his table, the king's table, which is the best of the best, to eating, you know, like grass out in the field. And so uh, that is chapter four. Now, today, uh, we're coming into chapter six, and it is an absolute classic. A lot of you know that uh, here not too long ago, I went back and reread uh, Daniel, and I'm like, you know, I've read it many times since I was being a kid, but I'm like, wow, I remember that when I was a kid, and I remember that. But then I'm like having these moments where I'm like, hey, I heard about all this when I was a kid, but there's so much that we can learn, you know, as students and adults from Daniel. And today I'm going to take you through the story, a true story in the life of Daniel, what I think is a classic story of the whole book. And as I was doing that, I was thinking about, you know, there's some classic stories in the Bible that I, you know, I grew up hearing about. Our, our grandkids who are here, you just, just saw uh, Landry. She's four. Her little brother is two. Uh, Kenley is six. And I'm just so glad that my, my grandkids are growing up in church where they're hearing these stories. And I can remember my kids heard the stories. And I can remember as a kid sitting in, in a Sunday school class. And, you know, there's a lot of Sunday school classes back then. And I remember hearing about Noah and the ark. And my mom was just, I mean, I was a kid. And I'm like, Noah and this big ark. And the teacher's saying like, yeah, and it never rained part of this time. And Noah and he saves his family, big flood and all this. And, man, I was riveted. I was riveted by that story, and I, I can remember, you know, the first time I ever heard David and Goliath, I'm like, that is such a really, really cool story. Uh, David, how that he's, you know, he's an underdog, and how he goes out, and, and I remember that, you know, as a kid, and then I'd hear it from time to time. And then what about, what about Joseph and his coat of many colors? A classic story. What about the story where Jonah is swallowed up? by a large fish. And I can remember, are you kidding me? Wow, three days in a fish. What, you know what? And I can just remember as a kid, like all that really happened in the teacher. I had a great Sunday school teacher. It really happened. Boys and girls, that really happened. I can remember when Audrey was Lantry's age. She was four and we were coming home from church and she happened to be riding with me that day. And I said to her, I said, how did you enjoy kids church today, uh, Audrey? And it seems like that was just yesterday, but it's been some time ago now. And she said, it was good, dad. It was good. I said, what did you learn in kids church today? She said, dad, I heard this story. There was this boy and, and it made all of his brothers mad when his dad gave him this very special coach. Just talking about the coat of many colors and Joseph getting, and, and it made his brothers so mad, dad, that they threw him into the mouth of a big fish. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. Now I, I knew how intelligent my daughter was. I'm like, it wasn't Katie. It was long before Katie. I'm like, what is our kids pastor teaching these kids? I knew it couldn't have been my four-year-old daughter. It had to be a foul up with a kids church teacher. I can remember hearing those stories in the story of Samson and this major might and feet and his long hair. And I try to use that as a pitch to my dad. Hey, I need long, cool hair like Samson. And that didn't go very well. But this morning, I can hardly wait to unpack the true story of Daniel, a real 
guy, Daniel, being thrown into the lion's den. In chapter 1, he's 12 to 15 years of age. In chapter 4, he's 45 to 50. In chapter 6, as he's getting ready to be thrown into the lion's den, guess how old he is? He's about 80 years of age. He's about 80 years of age. At this point in his life, he has courageously walked with God for a long, long time. All right? So, a little background here. I love this story, and you're going to learn so much. You're going to be like, this is more than a kid's story. And that's the feeling I got when I reread Daniel not too long ago. It's so much more than a kid's story. A little background, though, would be helpful here before we dive in. In the previous two weeks, we have spent some time talking about who was the king at that time in Daniel's life in chapter 1 and chapter 4, and that was King Nebuchadnezzar, and for a good portion of his life, a very wicked king. But by the time we come to chapter 6, this is important for you to know, this is no longer King Nebuchadnezzar, this is now King Darius. King Darius. Now, history records that King Darius is an administrative organizational genius, and this comes into play soon after he assumes power. Just this. Now, let me just say, this is long, long. This, uh, for Darius here, this is long, long time after he was with Hootie and the Blowfish and transitioned into country music. It's a lot longer. And... All right, if you're like, I have no idea what that means, that's fine. Those of you who did, you're, you're sick like me, all right? So join the club. Daniel chapter 6, look at verse 1. Man, this is a fascinating story. Look at this. Darius divided, and this is where you see his organizational genius come into play. Darius divided his kingdom into 120 states and placed a governor in charge of each one, 120 governors. Look at the last part. In order to make sure that his government was run properly, again, he's a genius in terms of strategy and organization, Darius put three other officials in charge of the governors. Look at this phrase. One of these officials was Daniel. Look at the next part. And he did his work so much better. Do you see that? He did his work so much better than the other governors and officials, the 120 and the other two, that the king, King Darius, decided to let him govern the, say it with me, the whole kingdom. The, he's got to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. So, you know, if you're sort of, uh, charting this out in org chart, there's about to be a structural transition. Now you're going to have, not what was, and again, it was a great setup initially, but, but uh, Darius has much bigger plans for Daniel. So now, org chart-wise, it's going to be Darius, it's going to be Daniel, it's going to be the other two officials who give oversight to the 120. Now, this creates... Just so you know, because a lot of times you've heard this story like, wow, where did everything get crossways? This is where everything get, get, goes crossways. This creates an enormous amount of jealousy, which then leads to the hatching of an insidious conspiracy. And the idea now, especially among the two, but I'm sure there's a lot of buy-in from the 120. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to destroy Daniel, no matter what it takes Daniel is going down. Now, with that said, that's the background. 
There's some valuable truth that plays out in chapter six in this classic story, and I don't want you to miss it. You may want to write it down somewhere, your phone, your tablet, write it down. I'm going to give you three thoughts here in the next few moments. First of all, thought number one, when God raises you up, listen to this now, because this is what happened to Daniel. When God raises you up, you can expect that there will be some people who will want to tear you down. When God raises you up, and we see this in Daniel's life, when God raises you up, you can inspect it that there's going to be some people who will want to tear you down. Now, I want to let you in on a dirty little secret. You ready for this? Here it is. Not everyone is inwardly celebrating your advancement. Are you with me on that? Not everybody is excited about that. Oh, they may say, congratulations, great, wonderful. So proud and inwardly be riddled with jealousy and envy and, and, you know, boil over into criticism. And we start seeing this fire up as early as verse four. In fact, look, chapter six, verses four and five. Check this out with me. The other supervisors and governors, this is the two and the 120, tried to find reasons to accuse Daniel about his work in the government. So they're thinking, here's where we're going to get him in trouble. We're going to get him in trouble at work. We're going to get him in trouble on the job. But look at this next part. But they could not find anything wrong with him or any reason to accuse Daniel because, look at these phrases. He was, say them with me. He was what? And? Or? Look at the next part. Finally, these men said, and this is where everything starts getting a little bit out of control. We will never find any reason to accuse Daniel, not in his work. He's doing a great job. He does it better than anybody else. That's why Darius wants to promote him. Besides, Darius likes him a lot. We'll never find any reason to accuse Daniel unless it is about the law of his God. So the way that he does his work, we're never going to be able to fault him in that. We're going to have to find some way to trip him up in his faith. And that is plan. By the way, let me just say before we move on, Daniel's model is a great example for us to, uh, in how we approach our work. Or if you're a student, how you approach your education. What does it say? You read it there with me just a moment ago. He was, when you look at Daniel, here's his pedigree. Here's his resume. He was a trustworthy guy. He is totally trustworthy. He was hardworking. You saw the language. There was not a lazy bone in his body. He was hardworking and he was honest. Let me just say this, and I know that there's a lot of business owners that are here, and you would concur with what I'm about to say. Employers love people like that, don't you? If you own a business, if you're a supervisor, if you're a manager, if you have uh, responsibility over groups of people, you love employees like that who are trustworthy and hardworking and honest. And this is how Daniel approached his work. He approached his work that it was going to be more than work. He approached his work the way that every person here should approach your work or your education, that you're going to work or you're going to study in such a way that it's going to bring honor and glory to God. Let me say it again. You are doing more than just a job. This is more than just a paycheck. This is more than just benefits. This is more than just getting to Friday. You are doing your work in a way that is going to honor and glorify God. And in it, you're going to be trustworthy and hardworking and honest. 
And educators love that. And bosses love that. Business owners love that. So they're not going to be able to catch him on a hang up in his work. So those who are conspiring against Daniel eventually realize that the only way, only way to get rid of Daniel is by somehow attacking his faith. And they want to attack him. They want to get rid of him. They're, they're not celebrating this promotion that Darius has in mind. They are angry and they're jealous and they're envious. And they want to make sure not only does his career come to an end, but his life. So they're going to have to devise a trap somehow connected to his devotion to God. And that's what they're going to do. Can I do another time out right here? This would be a great place for me to mention to you. That just because you are following God to the best of your ability, just because you're seriously devoted to Jesus, you're not perfect, I'm not perfect, but we're doing our best to be all that God intended for us to be. But let me just say this, because this is going to help several of you that are here this morning. It does not mean even when you are doing your best and you are doing what honors God, it, and that's what Daniel was doing, it does not mean that you are going to have an easy life. It does not mean that you're going to have a problem-free life. Now, I run into Christians all the time. It's like, hey, I'm, I love God. I'm committed to God. You know, I'm, I'm coming to church the way I'm reading my Bible. I'm tithing. I'm connected to a ministry. I'm, I'm growing in my faith. I'm sharing my faith. And sometimes we just think, and I don't know, it's not a God thought necessarily. It's just this thinking that says, you know what? If I'm doing all the right things, that that is going to equal a basically a, an easy life or a perfect life, that if I'm doing all the, right, all the right things, I shouldn't have any challenges. Well, if that were true, that would be contrast to every great man and woman of God in the Bible. Are you with me? Wave your hand if you're with me. You're getting a little quiet. I know it's dark, and I know these seats recline. You don't have to tell me. I know it. I face it every week. How many of you know, just because you and I are doing everything that God wants us to do, it does not guarantee an easy life. You're going to face challenges. You know what it is? It's living in this world. And the only way to avoid that is go ahead and go directly to heaven. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200. You just go to heaven now. That's the only perfect. As long as you and I are here on this earth, we're going to face challenges. And some of you have heard me mention this before, and it makes me so mad at the devil. How many of you believe there's a real devil? There's a real evil one. There's a real Satan. He is. And this is what makes me so stinking mad at the devil is a lot of times he reads havoc. Jesus said in John's gospel that the evil one comes to steal and kill and destroy. So the evil one is just bringing all kind of calamity, all kind of problems, all kind of circumstances, fighting against us, warring against us because that's what he do. That's what he does. You heard me mention recently because he hates God. He hates you because you belong to God. And so the enemy's doing all this stuff. It's just bringing problem after problem into our life. And I've seen people that it was all about what the, the enemy was trying to do. And guess what they do? They get mad at God, not at the devil who has created it. See, the Bible says Jesus comes to give life and give it more abundantly. Jesus wants to give to us gifts of peace and joy and contentment. Jesus wants to bless our life. And the enemy brings havoc into our life. And it just makes me so mad at the devil because people take what the evil one has done to them or their family or at work or some part of their life, and they get mad at God. And the whole time the evil one is laughing because he knows that he is the one that instigated it, not God. But people are getting mad at God instead of the originator of who caused it in the first place. You still with me? Wave your hand like this. 
So Daniel's destructors have a plan. Here's the plan. King, King Darius, here's what we think you ought to do. We think you ought to enact a law that no one can pray to anybody else except for you for the next 30 days. Nobody can pray to anybody else except you. And, you know, Darius, he's like the other kings at that time, in that ancient time, who he was susceptible to some pride and arrogance, and that to a king felt pretty good. Really, they can pray, and he doesn't understand God the way that Daniel does, and life sounds pretty good to me. I'm sure in other kingdoms, people are praying to their king, so they, they hoodwink him. They convince him that that is something that would be a great idea, and then they have another part to this plan. All right, king, we thank everybody for the next 30 days, they ought to pray to you and only to you. And by the way, if they do not pray to you only, the punishment should be a fast trip to the lion's den. This should warn, if they pray to anybody else but you, this should warn an immediate trip, uh, you know, there, the death penalty, a death sentence. Now, let me ask you, and you're already ahead of me. Why would this, if you know the story of Daniel, you already know the answer to this. Why would they happen to, why would this happen to become their scheme? Why would they choose this? Why would they choose? Remember what they want to do. What do they want to do? They want to get rid of Daniel. They don't want to just end his career in the government. They want to end his life. And so they can't find anything because remember, he's trustworthy, he's hardworking, he's not lazy, he's honest, he's doing his great, you know, his job with brilliance, he's hard, all of that. They can't find any problem. They're attacking his faith. And so they said, all right, King, here's, here's what we think is a great idea. Nobody's going to pray to anybody but you for the next 30 days. And if they do, death penalty. And they came up with that plan. Because they knew, this is so important, that Daniel was a great man of prayer. Daniel was known. Now listen, he's been in Babylon since he was 12 to 15 years of age. So since he was a teenager, now he's about 80. And everybody, this is important, everybody that knows Daniel or knows about Daniel, they know that Daniel is a great man of prayer. Now, I want to just say this, all right? I'm just a plain spoken kind of guy. Daniel has options. You say, well, he doesn't have any options. Yes, he does. He's got some options. There are some options on the table. Option number one, and I'll just, uh, this is all under the first thought I'm giving you right here. But option number one for Daniel is to just say this. Okay, God, you know, oh man, the pressure, and you know what's going to happen to me, death penalty, if I'm caught praying to you, and I've got to, you know, and I'm not going to really pray to Darius, but, you know, if I'm caught praying to you for the next 30 days, so God, here's... Um, Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to like somebody to do with their gym membership if they're going to be out for a while. Uh, I want to just put my membership on hold for 30 days. And I'm not going to pray for 30 days. And, you know, God, I've been praying now at least six and a half decades. You know me at least that much. And, and if you would just suspend that for me and, you know, I, I would be so much better, so much more effective if I could stay in this world and doing a work for you. And surely you understand. So well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to suspend my prayer life for the next 30 days. That's an option, but Daniel doesn't take it. Now, he's got a second option, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just being vulnerable with you. I'm just being transparent. This is probably for me, because I'm not as courageous as Daniel. This is probably the option I would have taken. God, I am going to continue to pray for the next 30 days. That's not going to change, but I'm going to pray silently for 30 days. I'm just going to pray silently. 
And if I just happen to be in those moments and I'm just, you know, I just, while I'm praying and I'm not praying out loud because that's a immediate trip, death penalty in the lion's den. So if I, you know, I'm just going to pray silently. And if for some reason somebody notices, you know, I'm just in my subconscious, I'm just moving my lips and I'm praying and somebody asks me, I'm just going to say, no, 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 I wasn't praying. I was just, I was just reciting uh, a song. I was, uh, you know, I wasn't praying. And, and that would have been an option that God, I'm going to continue to pray, but I'm going to pray silently for the next 30 days. Now, this would help me to feel better. And so maybe this would be therapeutic for me. How many of you would probably join me in option number two? All right, just being honest, you're like, I'm going to pray. All right, for the rest of you courageous ones, you'd be more like Daniel. And Daniel says this, I'm not going to stop praying. This is what I've always done, and I'm going to continue to do it. And it may mean that I might die, but nevertheless, I'm going to pray. Thought number one is this, whenever God raises you up, expect that there will be people, not everybody, but there will be certain people that will want to tear you down. Second thought, be sure you get this. Second truth from today's story, when you kneel to pray, it gives you the strength to stand. When you kneel to pray, it gives you the strength to stand. Now, I can't speak for you. And I'm a guy that does a lot of my, my praying while I'm walking, but I do quite an amount of prayer on my knees. And I can't speak for you, but as it relates to my life, if I did not have God's word that I'm into uh, practically every day of my life, if I did not have a consistent prayer life, which I do, if I didn't have those things, I'm just telling you, I know me well enough to know I would be in deep weeds. I need the word of God into my life daily. I need to have a, a daily fellowship and communion with God. And I've just got to tell you for me, and again, I don't know how this shapes out in your life, but there have been scores of times in my life when I felt one way before I hit my knees and I felt completely different by the time I stood up and I had clarity or I had encouragement, or I felt an infusion of power in my life that I did not have pre-knees been bent in humility and supplication before God. Let's return to Daniel, this time verse 10. So Daniel doesn't take option one. He doesn't take option two, which would have been an easy way out, but he could have kept praying. Look at what he does in verse 10. When Daniel learned that the order, this edict from the king, had been signed, he went home just like he had always done. In an upstairs room of his house, there were windows that faced toward Jerusalem. There, read this phrase with me, everybody, this is a key phrase, just as he had always done. Let's read it again. Just as he had always done, he knelt down at the open windows and prayed to God. How often? Three times a day. He said, I, hey, I need, I need more of God than just one time a day. I, I want to have time with God in the morning. I, I need some midday time with God, and I want to be so seriously devoted to God. I'm going to spend some time with him before I go to sleep at night. Now, I want to just say, when you and I, when you see what you just saw, that verse on the screen, I, I just have to say to you, it still blows me away that we're actually able to have a conversation with the same God that Daniel was praying to that you and I can do that. Think about that. The God who created everything good, 
that you and I can have fellowship and communion, that we can have an intimate relationship with a God that, that knows all things, the God that possesses all power, all rule, and all authority, the God, the same God that Daniel prayed to, this God that cares about our needs, this same God that loves us unconditionally, the same God that knows nothing of impossibilities. It still blows me away that you and I today, right now, January 26, 2000. 20 that we can pray to the same powerful God that Daniel prayed to hundreds of years ago and know that this same God hears us and what I love about Daniel he didn't announce what he was going to do option number one nope that's not for me option number two no I'm not even go low profile with my prayer life I'm sticking with option number three this is the way you saw the language just as he had always done Daniel didn't announce what he was going to do he didn't make a public spectacle of it he didn't say you guys can do whatever you you want he didn't go forward he didn't make a press statement he just did what he did every day of his life he went to his house got on his knees opened the window and he sought God he prayed to God see one of the reasons why Daniel is such a great example for all of us is that he predecided what he would and what he would not do he predecided that no matter what connecting to God was going to be an absolute priority in his life and that nobody for any reason was going to take that. He predecided, you can take me and throw me into the lion's den if you want. Here's what I have predecided. I have predetermined. This is what I will do. I will pray. I'm not going to make a spectacle. I'm not trying to be obnoxious about this. I'm not being rude or angry. I'm, I'm not being arrogant. But this is what I've done. This is who I am. This is my relationship with God. And I have no intention of backing off of it now. He doesn't make a public spectacle of it. He simply does what he's always done. He wants to connect with God. I really like what Wayne Cordero has written. He said, you can celebrate God in a crowd like you and I do. And that's great. You can celebrate God in a crowd, but you can only get to know God one-on-one. -on -one. You can celebrate God in a crowd, but it better go beyond the crowd. How many of you wave at me if you know what I'm talking about? Now, you can celebrate him in a crowd, but you can only get to know him one-on-one. -on -one. And that's why Daniel, that's why, that's why he was so courageous, because his intimate Dialed in relationship with God was more important than anything else in life. In fact, it was more important than life itself to him. And he said, hey, put me in the lion's den if you must. That just means I'm getting to heaven quicker to this God that I've been praying with for a long, long time since I was a teenage boy. And he wasn't backing off from that. Again, I want to just do a timeout right here from our story, do a brief departure from it for just a moment, and just say this to you as a practical teaching point. If you want to get to know God better, if you really, really, really do want to get to know God better, it's more than just going to church, and going to church is wonderful. It's more than just being a good person, and that's wonderful. But if you really want to get to know God, and that's a passion of your heart, it's really not as difficult as a lot of people make it. Fact is, I assess it, you really, basically, for the most part, only need three things. You need a why, a reason. Well, I'm going to pray every day because, you know, my mom taught me that I need to pray every day. Okay, that's great, great. But you ought to be praying more than just because mama said you ought to be praying. 
I want to be praying every day so that when people ask me, do I pray every day, that I can tell them yes. And I want to be able to tell the truth that I pray every day and like I'm a really good Christian. I hope that you've got a greater motivation than that. I ought to pray every day because I feel like it's one of the boxes that I need to check spiritually, just like putting on deodorant. All right, I'll check the deodorant box and I'll check the prayer box. I want to be able to tell everybody, yeah, I pray. Got to take a bigger reason, a bigger why than that. The why is I want to get to know God better. So you need a reason. You need a why. Here's another thing. You need a time. You need a time. And, and your schedule may be such that it fluctuates, but this is what I found, at least in my own life, if I'm going to make God a priority in my life, if that's going to be my most important relationship out of all the other great relationships in my life, I better have consistency with the time. And here's what I've learned for me. I need a consistent place. So I need a why. Why am I doing this? I need a time that has consistency, and I need a place where I can meet with God. And if you wanted to get, I love what the Bible says. If we seek him, we will find him when we search for him with all of our heart. See, God's not hiding from us. God wants to reveal himself to us. I love what Greg Laurie has said. Listen closely to this. He said, prayer is not moving God your way. It is moving yourself his way. I love that, don't you? Prayer is not moving God, but that's what we do. God, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to meet this need. God, here's my long list, and I'm not spending a lot of time in worship or confession. I'm not spending a lot of time in adoring your name, but God, I just need you. Here's my, my little Christmas list, and, you know, it, it's bigger than that. Prayer, Laurie said, is more than just having God move our way. Prayer is actually moving ourselves God's way. Now, Here's a third and final thought from our story in chapter six. All right, here it is. Be sure you get it. Whenever you do the right thing, then trust God with the results. Whenever you do the right thing, then just trust the results to God. Can I tell you this about Daniel? This is an amazing story. I love this classic story about Daniel. He didn't know the outcome. He didn't have like a special word. Nobody came to him and said, Daniel, you go ahead, buddy. Let him throw you into the lion's den. You're going to be fine. He didn't have a promise. It's at least the scripture does not indicate that there's like a voice from heaven, that there's this still small voice that speaks to him. He doesn't have like this prevailing sense. He doesn't have like this guarantee. There's not a signed contract that God's going to deliver him. So Daniel really did not know how the circumstances would, would turn out. I thought about it while I was working on this talk, and I wrote it this way in my notes, either God will deliver me or the lions will digest me, one of the two. <laughs> one of the two is going to happen. Either God will deliver me or the lions will digest me. That's all that could happen. So while Daniel is placing himself in God's hands, King Darius, I've just got to tell you, King Darius is a total wreck. He's a mess. Why? Because he really cares about uh, Daniel. He really cares about what happens to him. And he realized, and he's angry about it by this time. He's angry because he realized that he's been duped. He looks at these two, uh, you know, officials that had equality with Daniel. Remember, there were three of them over 120 governors and Darius. It's like this organizational genius comes into power, 120 states, three over that. And then he's got to take Daniel, who's one of the three. He's got to elevate him. So he realizes that among at least the two, but probably, as I said to you, a lot of buy-in from the others, he realized that he's been duped. That this whole thing about praying to him, that he was such, you know, a foolish king to buy into anyhow, that it was all a trick because they hated Daniel. 
And so he's angry at them, but he's also anxious because this is what he knows about an edict rendered by a king such as himself. It can't be altered. It can't be reversed. So here's Daniel in his destination straight to the lion's den. Now, here's what you don't know. Uh, when I was in kids, hey, I'm so old they had flannel graph when I was a kid. How many of you know what? That's what the teacher tried to put on that board and it would fall off about three or four times. How many of you remember that? She just, okay, I don't know why it's not sticking up here. And here's Daniel and, you know, here's a, a lions and they're all like little kittens and almost like there's a rope tie. I, that's how it's illustrated in Sunday school. But we don't know that. Scriptures don't say that. We can speculate. So I, how many of you know that I've got a mind to speculate? Have you figured that out by now? So I speculate. I don't know for certain. There's a part of me that wants to believe that when Daniel was lowered down into the lion's den, that ahead of time he had a, this massive tray of chicken minis from Chick, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and he's like, here, here, kitty, kitty, here, kitty. These chicken minis are a whole lot better than me. I'm 80. There's a lot of gristle in me. This is tough meat. You're not going to like it. Not a lot of flavor here, but these chicken minis, they are good. Eat these. I want to, but I don't think it played out that way. I don't want to think that they were just, you know, they just had a big meal. And we know that that's not true because what happens after Daniel's rescued and what happens to those who are thrown in. The, the Bible says that those who are thrown in, who are really conspiring against Daniel, that they're actually eaten up before they hit the dirt. That's how hungry the lions were. We don't know what happened exactly, but this is what we do know, that supernaturally God delivered Daniel. Can we all agree on that? God supernaturally delivered Daniel. We don't know how it happened, but God obviously does something so powerful. The next morning, a Darius who can barely sleep, tossed and turns all night, goes to the mouth of the lion's den, and he says, Daniel, this is his words, not on the screen, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve. I love his language. This is what he knew about Daniel. Your God who you serve so faithfully, has he rescued you from the lions? Are you in there? Are you alive? I love this. Look at this last verse we're going to look at today. This is verses 22 and 23. My God, this is Daniel, back to Darius. Daniel, has your God who you serve so faithfully delivered you from the lions? This is what he says. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. I'm innocent before God, king, and I have not wronged you. I'm innocent before you, by the way, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. I love this part. Read it with me. Read this phrase. Not a scratch was found on him. Not a scratch. How many of you have cats? How many of you have a, even a little cat is just scratching? You're like, what did you do? Uh, that whole nother story. But not a scratch was found on him for he had what? Trusted in his God. Trusted in his God. Let me ask you as we close. What do you sense that God is saying to you right now? And it's not the same because we're all different. And we're at different stages spiritually. Can I tell you what I sense that God may be saying to some of you? And again, it's not the same for everybody. For some of you, you may during this time this morning sense that God is saying to you that an intimate, real relationship with him needs to be the priority of your life. 
and you're in church, and I'm glad you're in church. I want you here every time the doors are open. I really do, because I think this is a place where you, you're fed, and you get some motivation. I need church, because it just sort of compels me to go forward in the next week. And, and so it's more than church, though. And it's more than just being good, and it's more than just being above average, and it's more than just, hey, I don't do what so-and-so does, and they do this, and I'm not like that, and so I, I, you know, I'm spiritual. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, for some of you, you sense God is saying to you that it's whole, now is the time to take your relationship with him to a whole different place where you have an intimate, just this, this intimate, close, vibrant relationship with God. And again, you're, you're a really good person, but for some of you, you sense God is saying, I want more, I want more. I really want us to have a relationship, a deep, abiding relationship. So for some of you, that is what you sense. For others of you, you know what you get out of this? You get that God is asking you to take a strong stand when it's not going to be easy to stand. I admitted to you. I'd have been like, God, I'm going to keep praying, but I'm going to pray silently. I've heard what those lions can do. Hey, I, and I would have justified it. I just know me well enough. God, how can I keep showing up at Lakeside every Sunday if I've just gotten eaten by lions? So I'm just going to pray silently. Daniel's like, no, I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. And some of you are in a tough place at work, and some of you are in a tough place in school, and some of you are in a tough place in relation. Some of you are in a tough place. And so it is requiring you, and you're going to do it Daniel's way. You're not going to be dumb about it. You're not going to be foolish. You're not going to be arrogant or angry. But you're going to take a stand over the right thing, and you're going to do it at the right time, and you're going to do it in the right way. It's not about show. It's not about pretense. It's not about sanctimony. But you sense God saying to you through this talk today, Now's the time for you to stand strong. And you'll know the time. And God will show you how. For others of you, you know what you sense? God, I believe. I believe some of you are sensing God is saying to you, it's time for you to start trusting and believing for intervention. Daniel didn't know. He had to assume the worst possible scenario, which most of us do emotionally anyhow. What is the worst possible thing? The worst possible thing is that he was going to be dinner to the lions. Remember what I said? God was either going to deliver him or the lions were going to digest him. And he had no way. And so he just had to trust God. Some of you are at a place in your life where you need a miracle in your life. And it's time for you to trust God and say, I believe. I believe. My back is against the wall. Here's what's going on in my health. Here's what's going on at work. Here's what's going on in my marriage. Here's what's going on with my kids that are far from God. Here's what's going on in my finances. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need God to intervene for me the way that God intervened. Oh, King, my God has shut the lion's mouth. For some of you, out of this talk, God is saying to you, start trusting me more. Have faith. The Bible says have faith even the size of a mustard seed. And God honors that. You know what? And this is the last thing. Some of you sense God is saying, now is the time for you to give your life to Jesus. It's time for you to have a relationship with God. It's amazing to me, as I mentioned, that you and I can talk to the same God that Daniel talked to. That God is just as alive and real and personal as he ever was. How many of you are so glad that God has not taken retirement in Tahiti? God is still active today. And he's still working in our lives. And he wants to have a relationship with you. So everybody stand, would you? Everybody stand and bow your heads. And let me just pray for you. 
Lord, I pray for those people today who are just saying, God, I sense that you want me to go deeper in my relationship with you. It's more than just going to church. It's more than just reading my Bible. All those, those things are neat. I just want to, I want to learn ways to have communication with you. And I may not be like Daniel. It's not like I'm going to, I've got three set times set aside every day, but I'm going to make sure I have some time with you every day. And I'm going to get to know you. You already know me, God. I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your ways. I want to be able, because I know you so well, that I can trust you the way that Daniel trusted you. And for some people, God, you're just telling them right now, right now, that they can stand. They can stand strong. And Lord, they're going to do it the right, for the right reason. They're going to do it the right way. They're going to do it at the right time. But they sense that you are calling them to take a stand, as Daniel had to take a stand, and said, I'm not going undercover about my relationship with God. They're going to have to take a stand. For others, Lord, they're going to start believing you and trusting you for a miracle in their life, for an intervention in their home, for an intervention in their health, for a miracle where they were, for a miracle in their business. And then for others, today's the day that they begin a relationship with you that's made possible because of your son, Jesus. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, God loves you. This same God that Daniel prayed to loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, into the world to die for you, to pay your sin debt and my sin debt off in full. And he wants to have a relationship with us. God sent Jesus into the world so that you and I would know what God is like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so Jesus came and he took upon himself all of your sins and all of my sins and that's a lot of sin and he said I want to have a relationship with you I forgive you but I want you to come to me and I want you to trust me I want you to invite me into your life and if you're here today and you just say I need a relationship with God I want to receive Jesus into my life while heads are bowed and eyes are closed just lift up your hand real high just lift it up in this place thank you so much yeah I see your hands and just right in your heart pray this prayer and it's simple Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I need you in my life. I want to know you. Life is bigger than me. I know that there is a God, and I believe that you sent Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I want to get to know you. You already know me. You know every detail about me. But come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new start. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Can we give Jesus a hand clap of praise before we're done? God bless you, everybody. I love you. Have an awesome week. See you next Sunday.